Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester, joined as always by Mike Tagliere and a guest today. You can follow Tags and I on Twitter at Mike Tagliere NFL and at Bobby Fantasy Pro. Tags, how's it going, man? It is going, Bobby. Uh, before we bring in our guest today, I, I did want to share some some insight on our Fantasy Pro Slack chat that happened yesterday because someone must have missed the podcast where Bobby mentioned that he doesn't drink coffee, which is probably a good thing because Bobby bounces off the walls to begin with. Uh, but he said that he would rather eat a stick of deodorant than drink coffee. So I'm really I'm really wondering what our guest is going to say about this today because, I mean, obviously you know how I feel about that. Our guest today is Michael Moore of Pro Football Focus and Dynasty Slant Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Moore. Michael, how's it going? And uh, what do you think about coffee? Is it just, do you agree it's super nasty? <laughs> well, first of all, I guess I got to ask what kind of deodorant? Any kind of deodorant. Like <laughs> I'm just saying that'll make a big difference for me. Like if you've got like the Cool Breeze, right? Or the Irish Spring, that's a little different than just like straight up deodorant. But preferably the kind without aluminum in it, because that will kill you maybe as fast as coffee. <laughs> True. Um, True. But you know, like my breath's not going to be nasty. It's not going to be like I ate out of a garbage can if I'm sucking on deodorant. <laughs> True. Now, I'm probably not the best person to ask because I literally have coffee every single day. So I okay. probably would recuse myself because I'm probably a tad biased on this. <laughs> Don't worry. You know, don't when you worry, work don't in worry. fantasy sports, there's a lot of heat that comes with a job. Like if you tell people they should draft Amari Cooper, you'll never hear the end of it if it doesn't work out. And people can get really defensive and mean. I don't have to tell you guys this. I'm telling the people at home. Of course, you guys know this. But I was shocked to find out that the thing that sets people off the most is when you say coffee is nasty and unhealthy, <laughs> right? I think I lost like 30% of my followers on Twitter the day after our show where, we, where I mentioned that just in passing. Yeah, Bobby's food takes are pretty awful. So, more if you feel if you feel the need, just step up and just just get in with the crowd because the crowd move the movement is real. Bobby has started a hashtag brand. Um, I know a lot of people do that in the industry, but Bobby's hashtag brand has become I don't like coffee, and he puts butter on his pizza. Yeah, again, I'm not the best to ask about food because if you ask anyone in my sort of sphere, my food takes are probably equally as awful. So again, I will recuse myself. <laughs> like for example, like I haven't probably had a vegetable since like the fourth grade. I'm with like, you, man. On purpose. So with yeah, you, well, who who would do that? Like vegetables are just gross. Yeah, but I married a vegetarian. Oh man. Right. I know. Tell me about it. It's crazy. But anyway, <laughs> we make do. <laughs> That's too funny. I didn't know your wife was a vegetarian. She wasn't when we first started going out, but she definitely was eating way healthier than I was. And then like we were dating and she's like, hey, I think I'm going to do this. And I go, OK. And she's like, you don't have to do anything. And I go, good, because I'm probably not going to. <laughs> but uh, So we've made it work. I mean, look, it, it's not like um, we were sharing like steaks before anyway, you know, so it's it's not a problem. I give her a lot of credit, too, because she will uh, find stuff that is healthy, but doesn't taste healthy and mm -hmm. kind of like use it to like trick my brain into thinking it's something really awful, but it's really not that bad. All right. So more, you just said your wife is a vegetarian, which th this brings up back so many bad memories for me. And the reason I say that is because, so I am not a, a chef. I'm not a cook. I don't do any of that stuff. Like my version of cooking is making like scrambled eggs. Like that's what I can do. I can make ramen noodles if you want a frozen pizza, whatever. Right. So I am at the mercy of my wife's cooking. And one day she came over to me and she said, uh, babe, I'm thinking about like, what do you think about vegetarian lifestyle? And I was like, absolutely not. Like I, I, I enjoy meat. Like I really do. She talked about it and I know I was at her mercy because whatever my wife cooks, that's what I eat. Like that's what I am stuck with. Fortunately, she has adapted her cooking style to my, you know, third grade eating um, level. So 
but I just wanted to share that story. If there's anybody at home uh, that can relate to that, I know that's that scary, man. I, w- I was really concerned for a moment. Fortunately, she did not follow through with it. Vegetables are gross. I think we can all agree on that. Okay. Yeah. Let's all agree on that. That is the motto of the podcast. Vegetables are gross. Nice. All right, guys. Well, what we have planned for today's show, it's kind of like what we did the last three shows. We did quarterback rankings, wide receiver rankings, running back rankings based on the expert consensus. And so, you know, we've got 45 experts who come together and put their rankings in so we can see what the experts as an average think about players. Today, we're going to do tight ends. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the tight ends and say, oh, we think this guy's overrated. We think this guy's underrated. Maybe we'll uh, clash on a few of them. That would be a lot of fun. Before we get to that, though, today's show is sponsored by pristineauction.com. That's P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And uh, they're doing something really cool for the, our listeners. Uh, we're trying to do these once a month, if possible. We just gave away a signed Todd Gurley jersey uh, to Rob Z down in Texas. He's pretty pumped about getting it. And uh, we're giving away another one here. It's a DeAndre Hopkins signed jersey. Tags, did you see this one, man? I did. I did. DeAndre Hopkins is the man. I actually, by the way, I'm just inside tip. Uh, I actually won an auction the other day. I uh, I bid on a David Johnson signed uh, Cardinals helmet, and I won that. Sweet. So uh, I, I, I lost to Mari Cooper again somehow. I, I just keep losing him. <laughs> Cooper. <laughs> You're losing them all to your wife. She's got you like five helmets for uh, for Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible because I have been quite a few times. <laughs> you know, uh, don't let our content manager hear about this because he's going to go out and buy all the Eagles stuff he can. He's a big he's a big Eagles fan. But I saw this uh, this frame photo with uh, twenty uh, signatures on it from the Eagles: Nick Foles, Fletcher Cox, Carson Wentz, Jay Ajayi. All kinds of them. It's a beautiful photo. And, you know, if you use Pristine Auction, I bet you're thinking, this is going to be out of my price range. You will be surprised at how affordable all this stuff is. They've got something for everyone. They've got hundreds of lots that end daily. It's free to use unless you win. Then, obviously, you have to pay for that. Um, but it's a really easy site to use. Lots of fun to go out there and see what they have. And maybe you can get something for your den. And, again, that's pristineauction.com, P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And if you want to enter in for that DeAndre Hopkins signed jersey, all you have to do, go to iTunes, subscribe and review to our podcast, take a screenshot and send it to us at contest at fantasypros.com. It takes like 30 seconds to do. A quick question, though. If I'm a guest on the podcast, can I still enter the contest that's on the podcast or are there like rules against that? Absolutely, man. Yeah, you just have <laughs> okay. to give a really good review about my food takes. Or a really good <laughs> review of myself. Which I can do. <laughs> there you so, go. That works. <laughs> that guest that you guys had on that more, he's he's a character. He's awesome. I love that guy. He is. But I mean, seriously though, I think I entered the contest, I mean, a long time ago, before I was a guest. And like that's how I found the site. I bought several things on that site. I can I can vouch for uh, uh its greatness on that. That's great. Thanks for sharing, Michael. Let's move on. Uh talk about some football guys. I, I see some reports coming out. Blake Bortles and ASJ have some chemistry. Uh, Jameson Crowder and Alex Smith are best friends. All kinds of stuff like that. Michael, what I want to know is, do you put any stock whatsoever into these reports? Uh, you know, uh, it's funny. I had a similar conversation on uh, the podcast I do with my buddy, Scott Spratt. And essentially, my feelings are I don't take anything uh, good out of these. Uh, like, nothing will change my mind in a positive direction on any of these blurbs. However, uh, I can be uh, deterred or move someone down rankings from these blurbs if something bad's happening, right? Yes. So, like, if a receiver's not getting uh, targets or if he's not, you know, running with the first team or what have you, that gets my attention. If a guy's just standing out, he's in the best shape of his life, you know all the cliches, I put no stock in that stuff. But if he's doing something bad, that I will pay attention to. 
I think Moore just brought up one of the best points on this podcast that I think I, I, I talked about last year is that during the preseason, you need to understand, or the offseason, I should say, is that you're going to hear a lot of glowing reports. You're hearing about Deshaun Watson's moving around. You're hearing about he's got a lot of mobility. You're hearing good things about Devontae Parker again. You're hearing all these things, right? And you have to understand, nobody should move up that far up your draft board in the, in the offseason, but n- some players can move down. If you hear something negative about a player this time of year, it's bad. Like, it's really bad <laughs> yeah, because right. everybody wants to talk them up because, you, you know, we we're all optimistic in the off season, so well, and they're just they're just in pads and they're just running around. There is yes. this isn't game action, anything <laughs> You're like that. Right? You know what I mean? Like preseason, yes, that's when you can start to move people up because you've got first stringers going in, you got second stringers, what have you, and that's sort of giving you a preview of what the regular season is. But now, like, ooh, like they caught a ball in practice. Like, cool. Like you're supposed to. <laughs> that's great. So. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be my uh, thinking on that. You know, and I don't even think the reports on Watson and Wentz are really that positive. It's like, oh yeah, they're probably going to play in Week One. Wait, wait, this is still a possibility that they might not play in Week One. <laughs> that scares me a little bit. Oh, completely. It's it's the Andrew Luck corollary last year, where every single week in the preseason and offseason, it's like, nope, he's he's probably going to miss week or play Week One. He's not practicing right now, but he's definitely playing Week One. And then as you got a little closer, they kept pushing it further and further back. So. Um, yeah, no, this time of year, I try to tune out uh, as much of that as I can. Okay, so let's go on over to tight ends. And, uh, you know, we've been going in a roundabout way where we each say, you know, two, three guys that we think are overvalued, two, three guys that we think are undervalued. And there's just really not that many tight ends. Like you can play in a two quarterback league where you've got, you know, 30 quarterbacks who are going to be owned. In these leagues, it's like what, 15, 16 tight ends are going to be drafted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I had to go a little further down to where it's like if you're okay. playing, some people might be going in two tight end leagues. Some people want to play a tight end in their flex, something like that. But I did stick to the tight ends that I have ranked in my top 18. So I tried to keep it somewhat relevant while okay. the experts might be a little bit lower on some of those guys than myself. Yeah, some people play in deeper leagues and uh, it was a little bit harder for me to find them. The reason I brought it up is just, you know, I'm used to saying like, oh, I think this quarterback is eight spots higher than the consensus for tight ends. It's going to be like, I think he's two spots higher than the consensus. So, um, but it does make a difference. It absolutely makes a difference. And Michael, we'll let you go first here. Who was one tight end that you think is overrated right now by the expert consensus? Uh, my first one's going to be Jack Doyle, uh, from the Colts. Currently, I think you guys have him 11th on your expert rankings. And, you know, there's just a lot of things. And again, while I don't put a lot of stock into Roto World blurbs about practice, when it comes to signings, the draft, that kind of stuff, I do pay attention to that. So what I mean by that is with Jack Doyle, the Colts brought in a lot of guys to uh, potentially siphon off targets this year from drafting two receivers and Fountain and Kane. Uh, they signed Ryan Grant when his deal fell through with the Ravens. And then obviously they signed a whole other tight end, Eric Ebron, and actually are paying him more this year than they're paying Jack Doyle. So I mean, look, Jack Doyle had a very good season last year. I was all over him this offseason up until they signed Eric Ebron. I thought 11th would have been uh, actually too low for him. But after the Ebron signing, I think 11th is way too high for him. What do you think, Tags? Like, what is Doyle's ceiling? And what is Eric Ebron's ceiling? Is there a chance Ebron comes in and just takes this job over and is awesome with Andrew Luck? 
I don't think that happens. And the reason I don't is because Eric Ebron, I've talked about this before, where Eric Ebron comes from a team, the Lions, who spent a top 10 draft pick on him. Okay, They still had him on his rookie contract, and they chose to let him go. If you have a player who is massively talented that they felt like was that guy, I, I feel like there's no reason you would let that guy go on a small deal on the small contract that he had. Now, you know, looking at last year, it seems like they they pumped up his targets as the year went on. They in you know his production did go up, but we didn't see anything crazy out of Eric Ebron. We just never saw him develop into the player he was. Now, with that being said, he is going to the Colts. He's going to play with Andrew Luck, a guy who has traditionally targeted tight ends a lot. With Jack Doyle, I have him actually right at the consensus ranking, and the reason I do is because it, it cloudies the upside for Jack Doyle's, you know, with, with Eric Ebron there. But if you remember back when Jack Doyle broke out, he was the number two tight end behind Dwayne Allen. Everybody expected Dwayne Allen to be a top ten tight end that year, and it was Jack Doyle that started to emerge. And then we saw Jack Doyle even last year with Jacoby Brissett finishes a top ten tight end. So Jack Doyle ha- has something to. There's something with him that he's got chemistry with the quarterbacks, whether it be the offensive system that he was working in, whether it be the quarterback, I don't know. But what I do know is that Eric Ebron was just cut off his rookie contract. I think he's a fine player to target in best ball like Eric Ebron because like there's going to be weeks where he kind of goes off. But I think Jack Doyle is still the safest tight end there. So the reason I have him at 11 is not because I feel like his upside is so sky high. I feel like Eric Ebron actually ruins that. But I feel like he's one of the safer tight ends when you get into the range of guys like Tyler Eifert, uh, George Kittle, OJ Howard. I just feel like Doyle is a safe option as a low-end tight end, whereas those guys might have more upside, but they're also going to be really, really up and down in their production. I don't think either of them are safe. I've got Doyle at number 12 just because I think Ebron's better than uh, than people are giving him credit for. And, um, you know, it's not that I don't think Doyle is, is going to be solid if Andrew Luck's there. But Andrew Luck, if he's not there, what are we really going to see? The only reason I have him at 12 and not lower is like once you get to 13, I think there's a humongous drop off. Well, it's ugly. I mean, you saw Doyle last year. Again, if Brissett has to play, if Luck doesn't play, we saw Jack Doyle get 108 targets. That that ranked fifth among all tight ends last year. He only scored four touchdowns, but it was enough to get him as a top 10 tight end. And that's what I'm saying is that, you know, the, the Frank Reich coming over there from the Eagles. So he's coming over from under Doug Peterson. Like you can see, Doug Peterson, you go back to Andy Reid and you see the tight end heavily utilized. You've seen two tight ends utilized in the Eagles, which makes me feel like Ebron is going to be that Trey Burton type. Where Interesting. Or it could be vice versa. He, they may be using Ebron as the Zach Ertz. I don't know which way it's going to go. I think this we have to remain open minded, you know, once we see this, this tight end combo in preseason. But my initial reaction is that Doyle has chemistry with the quarterbacks. He's been there. Eric Ebron was just cut. So I, I just feel like. It's Doyle now, but I can I can I can definitely see this changing as we go. You know, I saw uh, Mike Clay talking about this on Twitter. Like, so many people are mad at him for projecting Andrew Luck to have stats, and like, we have to do it, right? That's what that's what Mike Clay responded to them all saying is like, what what do you want me to do? Just act like there's no chance that he's going to play. If Andrew Luck plays, like, how good is he going to be? Are we talking like forty seven hundred yards and thirty touchdowns? You know, Andrew Luck. I'm not going to automatically put him down for 4,700 yards. I do think he plays. Uh, I don't. I don't know. There's there's so much about this that we have to wait and see. And the question mark here really is: Does Andrew Luck play in the preseason? Because even if he is okay, even if they want to take it easy on his shoulder, do they trust him in the preseason? Do they trust him not to get hurt in the preseason? More, my question to you, let's piggyback off this. If we don't see Andrew Luck play more than maybe a quarter in the preseason, and let's say it's an, a mediocre outing. How far are you trusting him and how far are you trusting this entire offense? Good question. If he only plays that much, um, 
That would be honestly enough for me to uh, put him at sort of low end QB one, high end QB two status. I'm not going to put him back where he probably was pre injury, but just seeing him out there would would cross the biggest uh, hurdle for me, which is he's in he's in the game, he can take game action, that kind of stuff. Now, as far as how good he's going to be. I have no idea. I mean, he hasn't played in over a year. He hasn't thrown a football in over a year. I don't know what to think about it. But if he's able to be at least healthy enough on the field, at least we can then start having the conversation at that point. I think I'd take him as QB6. But what I'm trying to say is, like, if there's 4,500 yards out there instead of Jacoby Brissett's passing, like, they've got to go somewhere. I think that both of these tight ends might be tight end ones, which is kind of crazy to say. But Indianapolis just doesn't have any other weapons. So I'm going to throw out some a stat here, and I meant to say at the top of the podcast, and it's my biggest takeaway when it comes to the tight end position is is the how heavily they rely on targets compared to other positions. All right, so I've gone over the data over the last five years of the 62 tight ends who um who have seen at least 85 targets, 49 of them have finished top 12, and 56 of 62 have finished top 15. So basically, if you get 85 targets, you're almost a lock to finish as a top 15 tight end. Um, now, on the contrary to this, there have been just four tight ends over the last five years to finish top 12 while seeing less than 70 targets. Hunter Henry accounted for two of them. Julius Thomas and Tyler Croft were the others, so they were very, very heavily reliant on touchdowns, something that Eric Ebron has not done to this point in his career. I'm not saying he can't, but I'm saying he has not done to this point in his career. Jack Doyle hasn't really been a big touchdown guy either, but do we really anticipate the two of these tight ends seeing more than 70 targets? I know I don't. I think it might be hard for one of them to reach 85 targets. So it's like if one of them does, I think it's Doyle, and I think that Ebron would be under that 70 target mark, which would give him a really bad chance to finish as a top 12 fantasy tight end. So it's really picking your poison. And when it comes down to it in preseason and doing your drafts, you're going to have to pick between one or the other. It's either you're planning your side on the Doyle side or the Ebron sign. Worst case scenario, you just go streamers and it's not much worse. Exactly. That's the thing. I, I just don't think that we ever see tight ends perform almost identical down throughout the season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Michael, what do you think about this idea? I think it was uh, Brandon Marianne Lee who came up with it, or maybe, maybe it was her sister. You just get rid of tight ends. You have a wide receiver tight end flex just because tight ends suck so bad. Well, I think people got to wrap their head around the idea of getting rid of kickers first before they can sign on to getting rid of tight ends first. But um, I don't know. I mean, I may be a traditionalist. I would like to keep the tight end. Um, and I really think you're going to see more tight ends in sort of a more receiver role in the future anyway, okay. that it is going to be more relevant. You know, I mean, unless we just start counting like, you know, blocky or pass blocking efficiency, which I don't think will happen. But um, yeah, I, I'm all for keeping him for now. Or in Jalen Samuel's case, you'll see him in a running back role, but he qualifies at tight end, which is really sweet if he gets some touches. All right, Tags, why don't you go next? Who's your uh, most overrated tight end right now? Uh, it's Evan Ingram, and uh, it's it's really not that close because, you know, just because of how far, how high he's being taken. You know, let, let me just say this. Despite there being no Odell Beckham Jr., no Marshall, no Sterling Shepard for extended periods of time, and no Saquon Barkley, Ingram finishes the tight end five last year. He's being drafted and ranked as the tight end five this year. Do I need to remind people that Odell Beckham's coming back? Sterling Shepard's going to be there. That Saquon Barkley is going to demand. Like, if Saquon Barkley doesn't get 60, 70 targets, you you wasted a draft pick on him because you're not going to use him as a two-down back. You know, he's he's someone that you have to utilize in the passing game. So 
Evan Ingram, when going through my projections, like I, I granted, I didn't make him this low because I feel like his talent is too good to put him down this low, but he came in at 11th in my tight end projections. Um, I did, I did shuffle them around a little bit and he moved up to like the nine ten range. So I put him as my number seven tight end. And I feel like I'm being extremely generous by doing that. But what it tells me is that he will not end up on any of my teams. His, t- I mean, he saw the second most targets among any- all tight ends last year and finishes the number five tight end. Like, I mean, are you, am I wrong on this? Is it just because there's really no other tight end that you want to put that high? Because right now I would take Delaney Walker over him. I think I'd take, I have Kyle Rudolph over him right now. I have Rudolph all the way up at five. I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and I've got Ingram at six, but like, I can't see him going any lower than that. Walker's so old, man. He is old, but he's he's so consistent. You know exactly what you're getting. I think people are just paying Maybe. for one year of production from Ingram in what was a perfect, like legitimately a perfect scenario yeah. for him to produce. You, you know, you knew exactly what you were getting out of Vernon Davis until he was too old to be a good football player. He still is a good football player, by the way. <laughs> he's fine. Yeah. What I'm saying is he's not a top five tight end. I want to get Moore's take on Evan Ingram first before, before we go into that. <laughs> Look, I agree with you, Mike, and going back to the volume stat you used before, because uh, I was going to use this with Jack Doyle, where Doyle, just to mention that real quick, finished ninth in standard scoring. He was only 35th, though, of tight among tight ends in points per opportunity, right? Wow. Whereas Evan Ingram, also to your point, finished, you know, wherever he finished fantasy-wise, but was like 26th among tight ends and points per opportunity. So I agree with you, Mike. I think tight ends more than any other position are prone to uh, volume, meaning they need it if they're going to be successful. They can't just make something happen out of thin air like maybe a, a receiver can or even a running back can. So to that point, um, yeah, five might be too high, but I think I'm with Bobby. It's not going to be much lower, only because I don't know how many other tight ends can be just as good as that. Okay, here's my number one guy. And I'll, first I'll say this. I thought about saying Rob Gronkowski here because I like Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz better than Gronk because they're more durable. I think Gronk is better, but not really by that much. Um, with that being said, overall, I'd still take Gronk in my top 30, and uh, that's not really that big of a drop. Like The difference between tight end one and tight end three is not very big anymore, um, but right now, I'm looking at it. Gronk is in a tier of his own on our expert consensus ranking, so I thought about saying him, but I have two other guys uh, more so. Tags, might want to plug your ears. You're not going to like this. I can't buy into Trey Burton yet as as some kind of safe play. I mean, uh, we've seen him. He was all, he was all right. He was all right in a very good tight end offense. They signed him to a lot of money. But what it really comes down to is they've got a bunch of other weapons. Who's to say that they're going to use Trey Burton this much? Well, I understand, you know, your concern because it's the, it's the concern that's kind of led me to lower Tariq Cohen uh, down my draft board a little bit. Me too. Trey Burton's absolutely different, though. And the reason I say that okay. is because it's it's the position he plays and how important it is to the Andy Reid, uh, Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy offense. Uh, you know, because like when, when free agency opened, nobody predicted Burton to go to the Bears, myself included. Like everybody thought that they were going to look forward to Shaheen playing a bigger role in the offense. And then the Bears obviously realized they don't have the guy to play that Kelsey role that they wanted to the Zach Ertz role. So what did they do? They went out and found the only guy and he just happened to be like the top free agent on the market that knew the offense. Like he came over and he said, I know 90% of the playbook of Matt Nagy. I just have to learn the the little intricacies that he's going to do differently than Doug Peterson. So he's actually teaching everybody on the Bears the playbook along with Nagy. They're all learning it. And that's what I'm saying. By him knowing that and developing that chemistry with Trubisky to help him learn the offense and playing that important role that sees so many targets, he's not going to be blocking very much at all. They're, they're basically treating him like a, tie, a tight end wide receiver 
receiver hybrid. Uh, so Trey Burton, I, I have him right at ECR. Like I feel like I, the industry finally caught up because for a long time and still in best ball leagues, Trey Burton is a steal. Like he's going as like the 17th or 18th tight end on the board, but experts are ahead of the curve on this one. We've all seen it. Um, just you, you want that. T- like, so the Andy Reid, Peterson, Nagy offenses have averaged 157 targets per year to the tight end position over the last uh, three years. Well, they've got Adam Shaheen too. Michael, what do you think? Is, is Shaheen an actual threat to take Burton's uh, touches? No. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm with Mike on this. I think um, they obviously have a plan. They signed him to big money. I mean, immediately when free agency started, it wasn't like, uh, you know, they had to think about it. So, And a lot of teams wanted him, right? It, it wasn't just the Bears. Right. And I know some people might be a little concerned that there's just too many mouths to feed there between uh, Cohen, between uh, they drafted uh, Anthony Miller, obviously, and then they've got uh, Taylor Gabriel, who they also signed too, that I don't think a lot of people uh, remembered. But I think Burton plays such a specific role in the offense there that I think his role there is safe. I still think he's going to be a, a top 10 fantasy tight end uh, and barely break a sweat on that. Tags, what kind of ceiling do you see for Burton? Is there any chance he becomes like tight end number four this year? Absolutely. That's, I, I was actually wow. just about to say that behind Gronk, Kelsey, and Ertz, that I, I, I'd put him there. That's his ceiling, though. And one of them's going to get hurt. So let's say tight end three. There's a <laughs> chance he could be tight end three. There's an absolute possibility of that. And I don't see any way that he per, that he finishes outside the top 12, uh, if I'm being honest. And so, Bobby, this is like a okay. sneak peek. I started doing some research for some articles I'm going to do as we get further into the offseason. And one of them I did last year, it's the expected red zone and, and uh, performance of every player. So uh, a target from the 20-yard line, it's not the same as a target from outside the red zone. I go through and I, I basically compile every player's targets and I look through those targets and see based on where they were targeted on the field, what their expected fantasy points were. This is like a fun study I do. And like I said, it's going to come out in article form, but a sneak peek into this. So of the top five tight ends in this metric that scored more than they were supposed to like technically because either their skill or they scored enough touchdowns to get them there. Rob Gronkowski, number one, OJ Howard, number two, Travis Kelsey, number three, Trey Burton, number four. And guess who's number five, Vernon Davis even though he only scored three touchdowns. So like that metric there, like obviously when you see Gronk and Kelsey atop the list, you're like, obviously this is, this is a metric for good players. You want to see players towards the top. You don't want to see them towards the bottom. You know who was at the bottom of that list? Austin Safarian Jenkins. Not for long, baby. Jesse James, Martellus Bennett. Those are the guys at the bottom of the list. So again, Trey Burton is taking on a bigger role. There is some unknown there, which is why his price isn't above guys like Delaney Walker or Greg Olson, but his upside is definitely there. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Michael, let's move on to your number two most overrated tight end. It's going to pain me to say this because I, as you guys know, a huge 49er fan. My guy too, man. I can't, I can't see George Kittle at 13, which is where he's at now. I don't really understand that. I mean, he finished last year as just the 20th uh, highest scoring fantasy tight end in standard scoring and only 19th in PPR. So it's not like he could do one thing better than the other. And in that offense, I don't know why people think just because he's with Shanahan, like Shanahan is the tight end whisperer. He's really not. I mean, it's literally been six or seven years since Shanahan had a tight end finish in the top 12 as far as scoring goes. So that one I don't get. Do I think he's a very good player? Yes. And I think he'll be there for a very long time. But I just can't see him 
being a priority in the passing game over guys like Garcon or Dante Pettis, who they drafted, or Marquise Goodwin, who was really good last year, or even McKinnon once they start using him and whoever they decide in the passing game. So uh, Kittle at 13 is my next guy. Yeah, that w- that's who I was going to say as well. I mean, we saw him with with Jimmy G, and you know he was he was fine with his his college quarterback. He was just all right with Jimmy G. He had 15 receptions in six games. That's that's not going to cut it. Well, and the other thing is the 49ers were fourth in the league last year in pass attempts. So there's not much room to grow that, meaning that pie is not going to get much bigger this year than last year. So I just don't see where the, I guess, improvement uh, will be coming from for Kittle to sort of meet those expectations. And it's not like they lost a bunch of targets either. I mean, you mentioned it. They picked up McKinnon. Uh, they drafted Dante Pettis. And I know Tags like hates his guts. I don't know why, <laughs> but I think Pettis is going to get some opportunities. I just don't think he's going to get opportunity his first season. I don't think he's going to be like a fantasy impact player. I think you made a good point more on the Kyle Shanahan offense because I just actually pulled it up to look at it. Kyle Shanahan's offense has not produced a top 12 tight end since 2010. So he's not that guy. Um, Granted, they don't have the number one wide receiver that he's had in a lot of these teams. So that could kind of sway people. The reason that I think you could be a little bit optimistic with Kittle is because, you know, towards the end of the season, over the final three games, he caught 11 passes for 194 yards and a touchdown. Um, So it was like growing chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo. But the reason that I think you could be a little bit more optimistic is because Jimmy Garoppolo's touchdown rate is going to go up. And when you look at the trio of wide receivers of Marquise Goodwin, Pierre Garçon, Trent Taylor, they're all six foot or shorter. So he doesn't have a big red zone threat. So I think that if we're expecting a step forward in Kittle's career, that it could come from touchdowns. But I do want to remind you guys, remember that chart, what I was just talking about, about the expected fantasy points and who scored more or less. His teammate, Garrett Selleck, was right behind Vernon Davis, oddly enough. Nobody talks about Garrett Selleck, but did you know, in 2017, Garrett Selleck scored just 5.9 less fantasy points than George Kittle, and he had 30 fewer targets. So it's possible that everybody's underestimating Garrett Selleck. I'm not willing to say that, but it's possible. It's very possible. Yeah, I've got Selleck uh, quite a bit higher than the consensus. I mean, it's not like I'm going to draft him or anything. Uh, even when I'm drafting three tight ends in a best ball league, I'm still not drafting Selleck, but he's interesting to me. All right, Tags, who's your number two guy here? My number two guy is Tyler Eifert. I, I can understand why people want to rank him higher because it's going to be like the Jordan Reed argument. But I, I, I think it's a completely different argument because Tyler Eifert hasn't he's only been a touchdown guy uh, when it comes down to it. It's also not a foot issue. Foot issue, we've seen guys bounce back from that. You never want them the the year of that foot issue, which is why we talked about avoiding Jordan Reed last year. But Tyler Eifert, back issues do not go away. Just ask me. Like, seriously, I've had back surgery. Uh, I've had back issues since I was 23 years old. Um, Ask Tiger Woods. You know, these these injuries, they don't go away. Your back is forever. And that's why he's missing a lot of time. That's why they decided to shut him down last year. That's why he wasn't signed in free agency. Uh, he was out there for a long time. And then he ended up resigning a one-year deal. On top of that, you know, I, I mentioned those touchdowns. So in from 2015 to 2016, when people loved Tyler Eifert, he ranked among tight ends, he ranked 20th in receptions, 16th in targets, but he led them in touchdowns that was carrying his fantasy production. So if, if those touchdowns come down even slightly, Tyler Eifert wouldn't have been a top 12 tight end. He would have been outside the top 15, according to his receptions and, you know, yardage and all that. So Eifert for me, the back thing, it's just too much of a risk. It's like, it's like Jordan Reed, but never getting better. Like in terms of his health, I I just don't think that Tyler Eifert is ever going to be the same player. 
So so who do you have number 12? Or are we going to find out in a little bit? Uh, well, I have O.J. Howard at number 12 right now, actually. Yuck. I do not want <laughs> O.J. Howard starting on my team every week. Here's the reason, because that's where, actually, I would say outside the top 11 tight ends, it gets really dirty. But O.J. Howard, actually, I, I believe, comes with the most upside of that group outside of there. I'll take Cameron Braid over O.J. Howard. Jameis Winston loves Cameron Braid. Cameron Braid, listen to this. Over the first seven games of last year, he averaged 6.3 targets, 4.5 receptions, 58 yards, and 0.6 touchdowns. What a stud. Right. In his final nine games, he averaged just 3.7 targets per game, 1.9 receptions, 21 yards, and 0.2 touchdowns. Oh, that's so sad. I'm looking at it right now. This is sad. And it's funny because the thing is, is people talk about Tampa Bay and that their offensive line was really struggling down the stretch. They had a lot of injuries in the offensive line and people are like, well, his numbers went down because they asked him to stand and block. Nope. I actually used PFF's numbers. Thank you more to look at that. And no, he was not blocking any more than he was earlier in the season. OJ Howard was just becoming the guy in a way like they were going more to wide receivers. They were using Chris Godwin a lot more, who, by the way, is being promoted into the starting lineup. So there's not going to be enough room for two tight ends here. They drafted OJ Howard for a reason. He showed the upside last year. I mean, the part where you can have some hope, Bobby, is that they signed him to that giant contract extension, which made zero sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. They did sign him to that big option. I bet Jameis Winston, like, held them hostage. Like, if you do not sign my boy Cameron Brait, I'm going to kill somebody. Well, Mike, let me ask you this then. Who's the better blocker, Howard or Brait? Uh, well, Howard is technically supposed to be the better blocker. He was supposed to be like the most all-around tight end coming out of uh, college last year. Right. So, to me, if Brait sucks at blocking, no offense to Cameron Brait, that means they signed him to be the receiving tight end. And Howard, while I still think Howard's going to have value, I think Bra- they signed Brait to continue that role. And I know you've got... You know, you mentioned the last half of the season how it really took a nosedive, but we got to remember Jameis Winston was out for like a month or five or six weeks or something like that. If you take those weeks out and include the first nine and then like the last five weeks, I think, of the season, Cameron Brait was the fifth highest scoring tight end. If you if you take out just the Jameis Winston games that Jameis Winston missed, that he had Ryan Fitzpatrick. And don't get me wrong, did he suck without Jameis Winston? Of course I literally, I'm looking at it too. He had like no more than 12 (laughs) yards in each of those games. But if you put Jameis back in, then you see his numbers start to normalize after that. That's a good point. You know, in in his first seven weeks, he was a tight end one, five weeks. Do you know who that was better than? Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. Zach Ertz was seven out of seven, but he was better than those two. And and look, I agree with you, Mike. I I think overall, OJ Howard's the better player, but and I believe me, I don't get the the re-signing of Brake either. I mean, I thought that was why they would have drafted Howard was to let Brake go, but they did, and we're here now, and we kind of just have to play with the hand that we've been dealt. And for whatever reason, Brake's the receiving guy there. So um, he was actually my guy that uh, was I was going to say was undervalued at, yeah, not baby. necessarily undervalued, but just I didn't understand him being taken after Howard. I guess. Moore and I are on the same page here. Uh, first of all, he said, uh, who was it? George Kittle and then Cameron Bright. You know, I was actually hoping that Cameron Bright would go to the Jags and then Jameis Winston would get really sad and then just ask, demand to be traded to the Jags for Blake Bortles straight up. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm sure the Jags would do that in a heartbeat. I don't know if the Bucks would be too thrilled about that. Actually, I don't know if the Jags would because they just freaking signed Blake Bortles again. I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah. The way it worked out with the contract, though, it actually did make sense. Um, Like the the way that they move some money around. The more puzzling thing to me was when they didn't take Mason Rudolph when he was there multiple times for them to take. So mad. 
so mad. I don't want to talk about it, so let's move on. Michael already said my number two guy, so let's go to undervalued tight ends. And Tags, we'll let you go first on this one. Undervalued tight ends. Uh, can I mention one more overvalued? Go for it, dude. Is David Njoku. Like, he's one that's actually, I think I have five or six spots lower than the consensus. So I had notes here, too, on this one. Uh, Tyrod Taylor has never thrown more than 437 pass attempts. Jarvis Landry, conservatively, let's say 110 targets. Let's say Josh Gordon, 100 targets. Again, these are conservative. Corey Coleman, 60. Duke Johnson, 50, which is a massive dip from where he's been. Carlos Hyde, 30 targets. Do you know how many that equals? 350 attempts. So even if we max out Tyrod Taylor's attempts, that leaves 90 targets for the rest of the entire team. And remember that I was being conservative with the wide receivers there. So knowing those target stats I talked about at the top of the show, where it's like you need to get to the 85 target mark essentially to be a top 12 tight end. How is Njoku going to finish as a top 15 guy uh, with all of these new guys out there? I just don't understand. It's a great way to put it. Tight ends though, man. He's a touchdown monster. I love Njoku, but do you really think that the Browns are going to be scoring 28 points a game? I don't. No, I don't think they'll score 28 points per game, but I wouldn't be surprised if Njoku leads their team in touchdowns, receiving touchdowns. I like him. I love him as a player. I think he's a buy-in dynasty, but in terms of redraft this year, tight end 15, no thank you. Yeah, I've got him at 17, but um, you know, I can see getting him in best ball leagues. I would 100% take Ben Watson over David Njoku this year. What? <laughs> 100%. Well, why don't you go right to that then? Because Ben Watson ECR is number 24. Is that the guy you were about to mention? Yep. I have uh, Ben Watson myself at tight end 17. Watson was the tight end 16 last year playing with Joe Flacco. He was playing in a new offense because he's coming back from an injury. The Ravens didn't pass a whole lot last year, but he got he got his share. His previous visit with the Saints produced, as you know, we've mentioned, 74 receptions for 825 yards, six touchdowns. This was in 2015, so it's not like it was ages ago. They have no other viable pass-catching tight end on the roster, and they didn't draft one. The only time that the Saints never used a tight end was basically last year in like the half of 2016 because Kobe Fleener just didn't get it. Like He just wasn't the player that they thought they got. It tells me a lot that the Saints did not draft a single tight end. They went out and got Ben Watson for a year. They knew exactly what they were doing with Ben Watson. They knew exactly what they're doing with Drew Brees. They're going for a championship over the next year or two. Ben Watson's going to be a big part of those plans. Uh, Something tells me they brought him back for a reason to be uh, that presence over the middle of the field while you have, you know, so many options outside of him. They have Cameron Meredith. They have Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn. These are field stretchers. So I, I think Ben Watson is going to way outproduce expectations here. Tight end 24 behind like Mike Kosicki. And- <laughs> Mike Kosicki, man. If we went back to 20, I would have said he was the most overrated. There's no chance he's been top 20. Kosicki could finish there, I guess, but I wouldn't take him over Ben Watson. You, you sold me a little bit on Ben Watson. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL too. I love Ben Watson, man, but uh, he's so old. It makes sense. It makes sense with Drew Brees. I, I don't think he's really the type of guy you use outside of a streamer though. Yeah, I, I'm with Bobby on that, Mike. I mean, I just, I don't know where the targets are coming from for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the year Ben Watson had with the Saints a couple years ago was awesome. I remember because I had Ben Watson and it was great. But they literally <laughs> threw it 20% less last year as opposed to the year before. 
And I just don't see where Watson's going to pick up uh, targets. Like, you had Kobe Fleener. He had 30 targets last year. But then you had Brandon Coleman above him at 37. Everyone above that is back. And then you add Cameron Meredith to that. So, don't get me wrong. Is 24 too low? Probably. Just because any receiver in the Saints offense, especially tight end, is better than that. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know that I, I don't I don't think I share as much optimism as you do, Mike. Because I just don't see where it's coming from. Well, and that's the thing. So if you go by last year's attempts, I would actually agree with you. I'd be like, it's hard to find those targets. But that's the thing is like, if you look at the consistency of the Saints offense and what they were doing last year, Drew Brees was just so efficient. You know, he set the record for completion percentage. Um, The running backs, what they did on a touchdown standpoint, the regression that they're going to be headed towards. It's, it's going to happen. So actually, I think people are, that's why I think people are undervaluing Drew Brees early in drafts, because I think that those numbers are going to start to come back up and you're going to see him throw a bunch of touchdowns again. Whereas like, you know, if, if you were, you know, dialing it back, you know, that 20%, like you mentioned, I would completely understand where you were coming from. I just happen to think that those attempts get closer to that 580, you know, 590 mark with Drew Brees this year, which would free up some targets for someone like Ben Watson. All right, Michael, let's move on over to you for your first underrated tight end. Uh, well, I, you stole break from me because that was sort of my, uh, <laughs> my first one. Um, and actually, Watson was going to be another one who, again, we've kind of covered on that. But as far as underrated goes, and I may be the only one on here, but I'm still a fan of Jared Cook. He's, I think, 19th right now on the expert rankings. But, I mean, look, he finished low-end tight end one last year. And his role, I feel, is pretty safe. And, look, I realize they brought in Jordy Nelson. They brought in Martavis Bryant. I get all that. But to your point, uh, Mike, that you said about the Saints, I don't know that those guys are going to necessarily take away anything from Jared Cook. So for where he is being currently drafted, I think that's a pretty good value. I felt like Cook was a good value until they traded for Martavis Bryant because now the offense is actually starting to make sense. Like the signing of Jordy Nelson... I actually liked it a lot more once they traded for Martavis Bryant. And obviously, I don't think that they knew that was going to happen. But now it's like you have Amari Cooper, you have Martavis Bryant on the perimeter, and then you have Jordy Nelson occupying the slot. That's, That's ideally amazing. where so many people said that Jordy should have went. And I actually think Jordy's going to succeed there, whereas on the perimeter, I don't think he had it in him anymore. Uh, but now they're going to be able to slide him around with Amari, go back and forth. Martavis is pretty much perimeter only. But he's they're going to eat up those targets over the middle field because it's not Seth Roberts he's competing with for targets targets anymore it's now Jordy Nelson uh, so Jared Cook did move down my board a bit because I did like him before more as you mentioned the targets you know we chased those targets at the tight end position I was like yeah Jared Cook should have hit 80 targets so I kind of have to have him in my top 18 like just naturally um, but you know the way that they're moving pieces around there I just don't know I mean them trading away Clive Walford tells me that they're somewhat comfortable with him so I could be wrong on this but I just feel like the competition for targets got got scarier this offseason. Guys, this is kind of a look squirrel moment, but I can't help myself. I have to bring this up. I'm looking at ADP right now as we're doing this because I'm about to make my next point. And um, right now, Deshaun Watson is going at pick 25 and Derrick Henry at pick 26. This is absolutely (laughs) bizarre. What kind of world are we living in? Yeah, he's going uh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, more. I don't know if you saw that ADP for redraft right now. Uh, Deshaun Watson is being drafted in front of Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) <laughs> there's going to be a lot of disappointed people uh, and Derrick season. Henry being drafted ahead of like 30 guys that he shouldn't <laughs> be drafted ahead of holy yeah. cow man yeah. I love Derrick Henry but he's screwed right now with Deion Lewis there yeah it's not it's not a great position for him to be in that's for sure all right here's what I was going to say is um first of all 
I plan on getting Zach Ertz in the third round of every single one of my drafts, and then Golden Tate in the fourth round. I should be able to get Ertz right now. He's at ADP's 37. Unless I have a late third, then someone might sneak him and take him. But if I don't get Ertz, I want one of either Kyle Rudolph or Jordan Reed. I'm going to start with Jordan Reed here, and uh, we mentioned it previously. I mean, last year, everyone that came on our show said Jordan Reed being drafted in the 40s is way too high. You know, I'd take him if he fell to me at 60, 65. He's got the injury risk. He still has the injury risk, but nothing's changed. It's not like he's more injury prone now. He still has that, you know, top three tight end upside. We've seen what he's done when he's healthy. If he's healthy, we're getting a top 20 VBD guy, and you can get this guy in the 11th, 12th round. So um, I think he's worth 70th overall, 60th overall, something along those lines. I won't have to take him that high, but, you know, if I don't get Ertz, I am very comfortable waiting for Jordan Reed. Love Jordan Reed. Um, he's actually, he was the number one on my list, actually, in terms of like my rankings and all that stuff. Um, he's your number one over over Rob Gronkowski? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. <laughs> my uh, number one. That's a hot take, Mike. Undervalued. <laughs> so I'll tell you this right now. If I was guaranteed, we'll say, I'll say 13 games out of Jordan Reed, I would draft him over Evan Ingram. 100%. No, no doubt about it. And so just in case people are scared of Alex Smith coming there, don't be. Um, I actually went and looked at this for the show. Uh, Over the last eight years that Alex Smith has played all 16 games, here's his tight end rankings. Tight end one, tight end one, tight end eight, tight end six, tight end eight, tight end two, tight end two, tight end 12. He has, so none of his tight ends have finished outside the top 12 when he's played all 16 games. Jordan Reed, obviously, he's a, he's more of that wide receiver, uh, but he, we've, we've seen that with Travis Kelsey and Alex Smith. He likes to throw into these big windows. And when, when Jordan Reed is matched up with a linebacker, he's going to create that big window. So I, I'm right there with you, Bobby. I, I have Jordan Reed as my number eight tight end right now. You don't have to draft him as high as that, but at the same time, you know, in best ball leagues, he's, he's like, his ADP is right around 100 right now. I know that because I have him on a lot of them. So uh, if you can get Jordan Reed in best ball, especially, he's a steal where he's going. If you don't get a top six or top seven tight end, I think you're going to be streaming a lot of weeks anyway. So, so what if Jordan Reed gets hurt? You're streaming anyway. <laughs> well, and to your point, Mike, I, yeah, I like him a lot more in best ball stuff because, for example, you said if you could get 13 games out of him. You want to know how many times he's played in more than 13 games in a season in his five-year career? Once. Once. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think best ball, I'm good with that. And look, to your point, Bobby, if you can't get uh, a, quote, elite tight end, um, I think he's a fine fallback option. But I just, yeah, you can't you can't bank on him being a starter. You just can't. Uh, you know, I want to go back to your point, Tags, because Alex Smith was great with tight ends, but Kirk Cousins was too. I mean, you remember what he did even when Jordan Reed was out. Past to Vernon Davis, uh, he turned Niles Paul into a tight end one while Niles Paul was uh, was fantasy relevant. Um, so I don't really think this is a big improvement for Reed. I just think Reed is in- incredibly talented. Yeah, no, I, it had more to do with the fact that, you know, if you were worried about the quarterback change and that it might downgrade him because he did so well with Cousins, he did well with RG3 too. Hey, on a side note, speaking of Washington, like, Who's going to catch the balls there? Is it just Jamison Crowder and like everyone else or? Just Jamison Crowder. 200 receptions. Okay. I thought so. <laughs> Only Jamison Crowder. I love Crowder. Like he's so, yes, he's one of my favorites to target in like every format this year. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's undervalued right now. He's going to get taken real quick. For sure. All right, Tags, why don't you go your number two and, uh, and then Michael and I will finish it off. All right. Well, obviously, we talked about Ben Watson already. I talked about Jordan Reed. My last one that I had down was Hayden Hurst, actually. And I know 
before I get some hate here because it's a rookie tight end, I know, guys, it's a rookie tight end. They they historically don't produce. The problem here is that Hayden Hurst is 25 years old. Uh, when the when the Ravens drafted him in the first round, mind you, like first round, they, they obviously knew he was an important part of their plans going forward and that he's 25 years old. You're not going to have a 25-year-old sitting on the bench for two years wasting the prime of his athletic career. Hayden Hurst is a former pitcher for the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's just a natural athlete. And if you watch the, the NFL Combine, Hayden Hurst may not have like wowed you with his crazy metrics, but if you watched him out there fielding the ball, his ball tracking is on another level compared to every other tight end. He doesn't look clunky. He moves like a wide receiver. He's going to run the ball a little bit too, I think. His speed on the field shows up. Like it, it like that's the thing is like I didn't really care what he did in his forty time because I I, I watch players in the field and Hayden Hurst can move. Um, and the, he was used kind of like Aaron Hernandez was back in the day with the Patriots, where he was exactly. doing a few handoffs. He was lined up in the slot, lined up on the perimeter, in line. He could do it all. But they also drafted Mark Andrews, which has people concerned. I'm not so concerned about Andrews. Hurst is the one they spent a first-round pick on. Yep. So the, the Ravens, over the last two seasons, they've targeted their tight ends 285 times. They've caught 214 passes for 1,740 yards and 10 touchdowns. And keep in mind, that was with Dennis Pitta and Ben Watson, the guy that nobody wants to draft this year. <laughs> so Hayden Hurst is, is a physical freak, and I'm not saying that you should draft him in the top 15, but he's he's pretty much right there at the top 20, whereas the experts have him at 26 right now. You know, I'm really excited about Hayden Hurst because of the possibility. I think they might use him as a goal line back. I know it's a long <laughs> shot, but there's a chance, and uh, there's no other tight end you can say that about. Can you imagine them handing it off to him? He'd score every time, man. This is one of Bobby's best hot takes. It was awesome. <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, care to guess of a rookie tight end that did perform well in fantasy leagues? Uh, Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> it's possible, and it could be a trend that's developing because the tight end position, as you know it more, has changed dramatically. He's hardly a tight end, yeah. Is that your next guy, more? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was like, I just said that he's over. <laughs> uh, no, my undervalued guy, actually, uh, to me is Ed Dixon in Seattle. Um, it's not, believe me, and it's not a sexy pick. I'm not saying he's going to be a top 10 fantasy tight end. But um, being 30th right now just seems extremely low, especially when you consider the guys he's behind. Uh, Seattle, let's face it, the offensive line is still going to be bad. Uh, even though they drafted Rashad Penny in the first, which... Again, I don't know anyone that does that. Um, mm. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to necessarily run it more because I don't think they're going to be able to. I think they're going to pass it just as much as they were. And look, they didn't bring in anyone else to overtake that job from Dixon. And it's all his. I mean, he's the starter right now. So um, to me, I think he will be uh, a fine streaming option, you know, as a tight end two type. But being 30th is just way too low for a starting tight end who's virtually guaranteed to targets this year. Every time that I hear Ed Dixon's name, it makes me think of this exchange I had on Twitter um, where I posted my my weekly rankings the week after Dixon went for 150 receiving yards. And some guy was like furious at me that I didn't have him as a tight end one saying he should be a, t a tight end five. And like just he kept going about it. I'll never forget that. Every time I hear Ed Dixon's name, I'll always remember that guy thinking he was the top five tight end all of a sudden. Yeah, it was me, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys, uh, more. I think you forgot about someone on the depth chart that's actually better than him. Are you gonna say Nick Vanett? Nick Vanett, yes, hundred percent, man. Like, so they drafted him in the third round a couple of years ago. I think people have forgotten that because tight ends take time to develop most of the time. Um, but Nick Vanett, behind Jimmy Graham and Luke Wilson, who are gone now, he saw. So in his career, he's seen nineteen targets. 
He's caught 15 of them for 156 yards and a touchdown. Like, he's not a blocker. Some people are talking about Vanette saying him to be a blocker. He's not a great blocker. He's more of, like, that athletic tight end. So... I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump to say that Egg Dixon's the guy. I, I actually think Vanette, I, I have him projected to be the leading receiver wow. among tight ends in the Seahawks. Uh, I, I could be wrong on this one. This is literally, this is my feeling on it. I just don't think that Ed Dixon's very good. So <laughs> Vanette, I think I would take the unknown. I'll, I'll take the unknown upside in Nick Vanette over someone like Ed Dixon. You were about to get just slammed on Twitter for uh, for trashing Ed Dixon, dude. <laughs> You're probably right because I know he had like he had like a 200 yard game last year. I know he's he's amazing. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, first of all, I love Ricky Seals Jones. I think he's a great sleeper. Like if you want to take a stab in the dark, I think he's got some serious upside. You watch him play, man. And this, this guy is he's a big boy and he's fast. He's got good hands. Uh, ASJ, I actually like him a fair amount too for best ball leagues. I'm beginning a lot of ASJ and Ricky Seals Jones. But uh, the last guy I want to mention here is Kyle. Rudolph. You look at what he did in 2016. He was fantastic. 132 targets, 83 receptions, 840 yards, seven touchdowns. And, you know, he was playing with a bum ankle last year. He just had a surgery on his ankle and he gets Kirk Cousins. I talked about what Kirk Cousins did with Niles Paul and all the other tight ends. I think that Rudolph gets a bump here. And you look at their depth chart. They've got Diggs, who's injury prone, Adam Thielen. And besides that, it's really kind of bare. Yeah, Kyle Rudolph is like that tight end that you feel like he should be a safe player. Like he should be a safe tight end one, but I don't know how I feel about it. I just, I wrote a blurb earlier today on him that he's had his eighth surgery in the last 10 years. He said at this point, it just, it was on his ankle. He said, uh, it just feels like, like a teeth cleaning at the dentist. I saw that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what? Like that can't be good for a guy that's like an aging tight end, right? I don't care, man. I'm taking him as my tight end five. (laughs) Nice. I have him, I have him down a little bit more. I have him actually behind, uh, Jordan Reed, I believe. I don't blame you. I could see that. All right, guys, that's all for today's show. Michael, really appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun as always, especially because you agreed with me over tags, except the coffee thing. <laughs> Anytime I can do that, I will be here. That sounds great. Tags, it was a lot of fun, man. No, it was. It was. I, I enjoyed all these episodes about going over the expert consensus, and I'm sure we're going to do something similar as the offseason goes on. And for those of you listening at home, we've got two more shows coming up next week. We're going to go a different direction here. I'm not talking about rankings anymore. We've got a lot of stuff planned, so make sure to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Leave us a rating or review. Uh, that way you can get entered into the DeAndre Hopkins signed jersey giveaway from Pristine Auction. That's P-R-I. S-T-I-N-E. And uh, when you buy something from Pristine Auction, make sure to let them know Fantasy Pro sent you. That way we can keep doing these giveaways. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. From Mike Tagliere, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.